0: I graduated just after the dot-com crash, so it was like a bad time for developers. I heard before that, developers in London did ridiculously well.
1: Welcome to another episode of High Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Well-Paid Geek, a developer who started his career making just 16k a year. He pivoted from PHP to JavaScript because he saw it took off. Once he got more experience, he started contracting and now makes an easy six-figure income. In this episode, he talks about how he grew his Twitter account to over 40,000 followers and what platforms he uses to sell his courses on. My name is Yannick, co-founder here at Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. You've been a developer for 20 years. Uh, how did you you know, start? As, why did you choose this path and not why did you do anything else?
0: Software development. I just think when computers first came out, I mean, like when I was initially, when I was like first growing up, we didn't have a computer at home. There were still like sort of novelty items. I don't think we got one like a proper PC until I was about, I don't know, 15. So that would have been like late 80s, no, late 90s. I just could like make them do things really easily. Like my dad didn't understand them, but I I really liked them. And I wanted to learn how to make them do more by programming them. But I I didn't know how to do it. But someone I was at school with was from Hong Kong. He was telling me they just had big markets where you would just buy CD-ROM. Big CD-ROMs full of just like pirated software. And he goes, oh, there's programming software on this. And he just gave me one. And it had like Turbo Pascal for DOS on it. And so my my dad was a university lecturer. So I went to his university library, got some books on it. Because this is before we even had an internet connection. And yeah, with these books, I taught myself how to program. And then I thought, well, this would make a good job. I can't think of anything else I'd rather be. And I had this idea in my mind also that computer programmers made a small fortune, which wasn't really true at the time. Because I graduated... um, just after the dot-com crash it was like a bad time for developers i heard before that developers in london did ridiculously well could make a fortune yeah i mean uh, there, someone was telling me like in the late 90s java developers in london could be on a thousand pounds a day and if you think about that plus inflation that's absolutely huge that's...
1: that is huge That is huge. and so uh, you started with pascal
0: I went to university and we did a whole load of languages there. I mean, a lot of stuff in my degree was useless, but we learned Java. We did a little bit of C and some Haskell and some other more bizarre programming languages, like one called OCAM. But after university, there were no jobs going for developers in the city I was living in that wasn't London. It's was a much smaller city that didn't have any previous commercial experience, and didn't get a particularly good grade at university. So I needed to get a job. So I looked for a company that had like a job going that was a sort of tech-type company. So this company, I suppose you could call it a startup, although it didn't really feel like the, the sort of tech startups we have now. is very sales-focused. It was generating um, leads for the double-glazing industry. It's always been quite big in the UK. And so I went to work there, and my job literally consisted of ringing up double glazing companies asking them for their fax number and then I progressed to ringing up double glazing companies and trying to sign them on to our service and the whole time i was speaking to the like technical director and the technical manager about sort of what programming languages they used and made sure i kept telling them i had a degree in computer science (laughs) and then
1: (laughs) please let me program
0: (laughs) yeah the programming languages they used were Perl, which i had done at university and php so i went off and learned php and showed them some php I'd, i'd done and eventually after about a year or so they offered me the, probably the worst paid programming job in the history of the world. It was earning £13,000 a year. That's, I don't wow.
1: know. Yeah, like €15,000 or $16,000,
0: $16, $17,000. $17, yeah, per year, not per month, per year. But I took it, although I thought they were taking the piss. I took it.
1: Wow. And how long did you stay at that company?
0: Just enough after that to get my year's experience, because there's the whole chicken and the egg thing if you need a year's commercial experience. Once I'd gotten that, realized there wasn't any work going in that area, so looked at other cities and then like moved. Still salary pretty bad, but at this time, like the web was really starting to take off and I could um, do dynamic websites. So and eventually moved to London. Things started taking off even more, and here I am.
1: And so... You worked as an employee for how many years and then you're a contractor right now, how did you transition to being a contractor?
0: So I was a PHP developer probably for about 12 years, something like that. And then I realized that there wasn't PHP doesn't pay well compared to other programming languages for various reasons. And I was like, I could do another language and earn like 25% more. And I realized like contracting paid a lot better and other languages had a lot more contract opportunities. And this time JavaScript was really starting to take off because before that it was quite an obscure language. Like you sort of did a little bit of on the front end, but you didn't have these really front end heavy websites with like, very interactive user interfaces use javascript for like little things like opening a pop-up window you didn't really do much with it i remember that (laughs) apart from maybe big companies like google but people weren't using it that much so but javascript developers started to become a thing and i thought well with my PHP, i already have to do a bit of javascript so it's going to be fairly easy to transition to so i just made myself really good at javascript over the course of about six months to a year and then i just started applying for jobs because i was already like a senior in php i wanted a senior javascript i didn't want to go in as a junior javascript developer
1: you didn't want to do a 13k a year a job anymore. yeah
0: <laughs> not really and so i didn't know if that would like wash but at the time there were very few people that were just specialized in javascript and this is only about Five years ago, five six years ago, but there were still very few people around that specialised in it at this time. React and sort of Angular were just starting to come out and get popular, and I'd also was teaching myself a bit of React and a bit of Angular. So I went to three interviews and got two offers. So that was quite good. So I worked at a startup for eighteen months as a permanent, with the idea of always going contract. And then I thought, well, I've got my eighteen months JavaScript experience, so now I can just like go contract and. I did. The transition is quite easy. It's just you stop working as a permanent one day. And then on Monday, you go to a different office as a contractor, just earning a lot more money. But it's basically very similar.
1: It's kind of weird. A lot of people do it with with development, but also with online marketing here in in the Netherlands at least. And I imagine it's the same in UK that once you reach a certain level of experience, you just choose to go contract and earn more for the same work
0: yeah well i find tech's not that great on career progression you either have to stop programming and become a manager to earn more or you go contract so i chose that option and but even with management you know i would have to be either a vp of engineering at a very big company i mean i even see ctos for like small companies like the salaries smaller than what i earn advertised so yeah, you'd really have to reach the very top of like CEO of a medium or large firm before you earn more.
1: And how long have you been a, a contractor now?
0: Oh, three and a half years. Three and a half years.
1: Yeah. And in, in the meanwhile, you know, in, in September 2018, you started a Twitter account. Why, why did you do that?
0: Yeah, because I, I thought I wanted to start making a side income. And I thought I'd like to, what should I do? And I thought I'll do what I know, which is like tech. So, I'll teach people tech. And I had a little play around with Udemy, but it's like, if you're not already big on there, it's hard to make money. So, I was like, I need an audience. And I was just using Twitter recreationally, but then I saw money Twitter spring up in front of my very eyes. And and people were using that to make an audience. And I I thought about it and I looked at like YouTube and stuff. And I realized because when it comes to sort of making money online, it's, it's a case of the whole thing of you have sort of target market you have an offer and then it's all about sort of if as long as the offer is good enough how much traffic you can drive to the offer and it seemed to me in terms of like free traffic out of all the methods to generate free traffic twitter was the best sort of number of clicks for time spent in terms of like the ratio of like time spent to number of clicks how did you get
1: your head around that how did you find that how did you see that
0: Well, I did some YouTube videos and I thought the thing with YouTube is if you're a logged in user on YouTube and you go to your homepage, you think you would see all the videos from your subscription and then you can click on them. That's not correct. The YouTube algorithm is purely based on what you've watched recently. You can have a load of subscribers on YouTube and they don't necessarily see your videos that often because i was looking at sort of how many people viewed my videos compared to subscribers and stuff like that if you're on mobile for example on youtube and you've got a link that you want people to go to in the comments it's hidden by default you can link to your website once you've got you need like i think 4,000 hours in the last 12 months of views so you you can drive people that way but like a youtube video to do it well Ten-minute video could take over an hour, sort of thing. Video content takes a long time to produce, especially if it's something non-trivial like coding. If it's a business video of talking in front of a load of slides, it's not as hard. But if it's coding-based, it, it takes a long while. So with Twitter, you can knock out sort of ten tweets a day for a few weeks in the same amount of time it would take you to like do a good YouTube video. And Twitter has this thing where you can like built-in where you can retweet. And so like one person with a large account retweets you, you instantly get a massive reach. It's got this, it's the sort of the the network effect, I think. I mean, people can share YouTube videos, but they have to copy paste and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas on Twitter, they just press a button and like loads of their followers will see that tweet. So I I thought for those reasons had like a lot more potential than any of the others to sort of gain traffic
1: fast yeah, yeah. so even as a, as a beginner you can go viral you can gain an audience yeah. quicker uh, because it's baked into the product yeah
0: i mean i really want to get big on youtube because you can get really big on youtube you can get there's like a, people in the same niche as me with a million plus people and also i think you can potentially deliver in terms of free content more value via youtube because like a youtube video is more valuable than a tweet Generally, you can impart more information but like i decided at the moment i think you need to be doing at least two videos a week and i don't have the time at the moment so that would be like if i ever take this full time potentially then i would look to conquer youtube that would be my next thing because it's not great to have all your traffic coming from one source
1: Uh, that's true that's true and so you started about two years ago did you decide on the name immediately well-paid geek
0: i think i probably had a bit of a brainstorming session And came up with that.
1: Cool. So, two years and already more than 40,000 followers. How did you do that?
0: I mean, I, I read a few like guides from Money Twitter and I started tweeting and I thought, well, that's like Money Twitter. They've got their own style. You know, it, this might not work. And I mean, when I first came to Tech Twitter, it seemed like very dry, there wasn't a lot of personality there. There were some larger accounts, but there weren't these like rapid growth accounts that sort of had really mastered using Twitter well. So there wasn't a lot to go off. So I just started tweeting like I was scheduling my tweets, especially I would do it in the tube, actually, because in the tube, I don't really have much to do. So I'd write them in a text file in the underground.
1: Yeah, in the internet.
0: Yeah. And then during stand up at work, because it's always a conference call, I'd copy and paste them into like (laughs) hyper or something like that. And nothing really happened for the first few months and then eventually I got retweeted by a few bigger accounts and that told me yeah I'm on to something here and then of course by that time you start to learn what content people are going to respond well to so you can put more of that out and then you grow faster and faster and faster that's the thing about Twitter it's like it can take. it took me months and months to get to 2000 but now I've grown I think my best week was like 1,000 in a week without even tweeting. And after that was like 2,000 in one week with tweeting a lot. So it gets this sort of like this thing of exponential growth. Like the more followers you've got, the more easy it is to get followers. Okay. Although I've noticed it's getting a bit tougher recently, but I'm not sure if that's because I barely even have time to tweet over the past month or whether it's an algorithm change or it's just getting more competitive in tech Twitter. Because I think when I first started, a lot of what I was saying was quite unique to tech Twitter. But now I think there's a lot of people saying very similar things to me. So, yeah,
1: I can imagine. Well, I've heard more people complain or say something about, hey, I've not been growing so fast as, uh, as I did. Yeah, I don't know what that
0: is. People always blame the algorithm. And I usually laugh at them when I do that. Because a lot of people are saying there's an algorithm change mid-July. And growth did slow down a lot because I got like 2,000 in the first weekend of July. And then like but the last two weeks of July, I only got in the hundreds or something. I see other people still growing fast and getting engagement. So I don't think there's a big issue on that. I think it is a case now, though. I do feel it's a bit like either your tweets really knock it out of the park and get you loads of followers or they don't really do much for you there doesn't seem to be a middle ground if yeah if you're just like doing your normal tweets it's you won't grow as fast i think you've got to put a lot more thought into it maybe Yeah, oh. which i really haven't had time to do over the past month i really wanted to need time to sit down and go through ed Lattimore's book again because he goes into detail about actually how to structure tweets and really do like an analysis of what works and why and what doesn't and so i need like new strategy and you just need to spend hours reading through tweets and then you basically your brain subconsciously will spot patterns of what's working and what's not yeah if you read through loads of good tweets, even if they aren't in your niche, there's usually a certain way they're put together, a certain way that the words flow, yep. and your brain just automatically picks up if you expose it to like loads of that. Yeah, yep. I don't have time to do it at the moment unfortunately.
1: Yeah, it doesn't work by simply copying, you know, something from a different niche. You have to, you know, write it towards your own following, towards what you tweet about. Otherwise, you know, yeah, it's not going to stick.
0: Yeah, but it's also more like. <clears throat> how a tweet is put together rather than the content is like important as well. Cause you can say in terms of the facts, you can say the same thing, but if you say it slightly differently, we'll will do a lot yeah. better. It's I need to like nail down the details. The big thing about Twitter is writing stuff that emotionally resonates with people. I think It's emotion that presses that retweet button most often of all.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so you started two years ago, you said you just, Kept churning out new tweets and then all of a sudden, you know, bigger accounts picked up on you. Did you also engage with them or how did that go? How did they find you?
0: I, I tried to engage with bigger accounts. That's one thing that I didn't do as much as I should have done. I probably would have grown faster if I did. A lot of my tweeting was sort of unidirectional. I, I would put stuff out there and not engage back. So I probably could have grown faster if I did that. I don't know. I think I just got like one like or two lucky tweets and then people saw me yeah so i don't think there was one massive breakthrough moment it's um when someone noticed me i just think at some point someone must have retweeted me and then someone in the same niche with like 75k retweeted me and that was big but there, there wasn't one particular strategy i mean i i didn't really know about the strategy of engaging with bigger accounts back no, then yeah no. Which I wish I had have done. I would have grown faster if I had have done.
1: Yeah. And so, what type of tweets have really, you know, seen a lot of engagement. I've seen growth of followers.
0: Well, it's sort of niche dependent, but like for like tech and JavaScript, basically tweets about like how JavaScript offers great possibilities for you as a developer, both for like getting hired and earning money and stuff like that. One where I tweeted my salary did really well. Lists of stuff you need to learn to be able to be a developer, stuff like that. It's a bit like in the like money Twitter niche, if someone goes, there's all these ways to make money online, um, I, d- I don't know, drop shipping, print on demand, digital products, it doesn't matter which one you choose, just choose one and get started. Something like that would do really well. I guess that's because you know it fills people with hope that it's possible to do what they want and it gives a bit of information at the same time in the list, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And tweets with example, JavaScript, stuff like that.
0: I didn't see them doing as well because they take longer to do because you have to write the code and then you have to run them through a thing that generates an image, nice image of the code. Yeah. I've seen other people do better than me with them. So I might go back to them. Maybe just the example code I gave wasn't the best. Because I think someone gave like a huge amount of code in one thing. And so right. people like that. So yeah, there's there's potential there. I should probably examine more than that. And I'll probably sit down at some point and reverse engineer what sort of code samples people like and why. And then just do a huge list of them and re- tweet them every now and again. Right. But yeah, this this is the thing in, in Twitter. Like really good content quite often content that really could potentially help people learn something often doesn't do as well as stuff that just triggers emotions a lot of people bemoan that on twitter but you you do have to remember uh, the medium you're on in twitter it's it's 280 characters at a time mixed in with everyone else's 280 characters people are reading this at the bus stop they're reading it at at work when their boss isn't looking sort of thing that there's not a lot of time for sort of depth and sort of value in terms of you're not going to learn a huge amount from a single tweet it's more mindset and emotive i would say twitter i describe it as a series of headlines it's you know it's not wikipedia or war and peace or that's not the right sort of medium to go to in depth and stuff that's why i have like mailing lists and blogs for and you can link to that Mm. but yeah the the learning sort of stuff doesn't seem to do as well like when i link to like blog posts as sort of what i would consider lower quality content maybe but you go with what the market wants to some extent you can always do the higher quality stuff in like weekly emails or whatever yeah.
1: and so you started your your twitter account because you wanted a, a side project a side income
0: yeah and also I could, if that didn't work out, I could always raise my profile as a developer, I suppose. And I mean, I have had people like, i got an interview at, have you heard of Elasticsearch or the yeah. company's just yeah. Elastic? I got, I got an interview there. They hire hundred percent remote, didn't get the job, but I mean, I, I wouldn't have, like, that wouldn't have happened without Twitter. Someone DM'd me and there are lots of opportunities on there as well on Twitter.
1: When did you first create a, a course?
0: I created one ages ago, actually, like over a year ago and put it on Udemy. Firstly, it was like really shit because it was my, well, it wasn't too bad, but I didn't think it was very good because it was my first attempt at a course. It was on React. And also I realized the pitfall of if you do something that's quite a new technology, like React was quite new, it's going to become stale quite quickly and need reworking. And Udemy, it's just, unless you're one of the the big people on there, it's just so hard to make money. Yeah. Usually, like you get $5 per sale unless an affiliate someone's clicked an affiliate link beforehand, then you maybe get $2.50. And I thought, I'm not even going to bother driving traffic to this. I'll sell on my own platform for a bit more money, plus taking. Like I take like 95% of the, or 90% of the sale price when it's through my platform. Um, I mean, just to let you know, I had a course selling for the best part of the year on Udemy. And within my first month of selling my second course through my own platform via Twitter, I made like one and a half times as much in that one month than I did a whole year on Udemy. So... That's not. What I made a lot of money selling on Twitter. It's just I made very little from Udemy. So, uh,
1: it opened your eyes and you switched to uh, yeah. switch platforms.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And right now you also have a, a Twitter course on Gumroad. Yep. What made you choose Gumroad and why not your own platform?
0: Well, when I say my own platform, uh, for my JavaScript course, I was using Teachable. So when I say my own platform, just a, a sort of a platform where basically you control. Like Udemy is a marketplace kind of thing and um you don't really control the customers there with like teachable and gumroad yes you don't host it yourself but you're sort of in control of your account and your customers and stuff like that it was a shorter course some things i didn't like about teachable so i thought i'd try out gumroad
1: and gumroad is you know it's a sales page they take a small percentage and uh, yeah you know you own all the customer data which is It works but it probably also one of the reasons was that you saw that money twitter was into gumroad or is that not one of the reasons you chose gumroad
0: oh yeah i mean that's what um sort of brought it to my attention definitely everyone seemed to be doing gumroad stuff even like tech twitter people are starting to use gumroad i mean i couldn't have used or i wouldn't have used rather gumroad for my javascript course because Gumroad's like video stuff. I mean, I've watched some courses on there and I don't think it's very good at if you've got like a dozen videos, it's fine. But my JavaScript course is, I don't know, over a hundred videos and it's got quizzes and text as well. It would be very hard to navigate as a um cohesive course on Gumroad. Gumroad's good for like shorter content, I think, but I wouldn't put a big tech course on there.
1: And that's why you still host uh, your JavaScript course on Teachable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I might move from them to someone else, but not Gumroad for that.
1: Interesting. So in your Twitter course, you talk about you know how anyone in any industry can uh, grow an audience. What would be your, your best advice?
0: Well, firstly, consistency. Got to put those tweets out there every day I mean I've noticed if, if I take a couple of days off tweeting it takes me more than two days to get back to the the sort of number of followers I'm used to getting per day you seem to get sort of punished a bit like your engagement lags or something like that so you've got to get the consistency up you need to get noticed by the bigger accounts because if they retweet you you will grow a lot faster make sure you pick just one or sort of two topic areas i mean your account needs to be somewhat polarizing you're not trying to appeal to everyone you're trying to appeal to like your niche quite strongly i think is like, imagine it like a product it's like products appeal like very strongly to particular people not outside their audience generally that's what marketers try and do i believe it's better for 100 people to be like, yes, this is the one for me, than 200 people saying, oh, this thing's okay. It's, you want st- people to have strong feelings about you.
1: And I see a lot of people struggle with you know, finding their voice, what to tweet about, but also a you know, way to tweet. What kind of advice would you, would you give them?
0: Yeah, this, this is hard because it's like, I know it to some extent, but I can't. This is why I didn't go into too much detail on this in the course. I can't really verbalize it. No. This is why also I want a session where I I sit down and go through a load of my tweets and stuff and look for commonalities and like how I tweet it. In terms of finding content, the approach I first took was um, just think of it as throwing a load of shit at the wall and then seeing what sticks. I mean, you'll get feedback from Twitter as to what's good or not in terms of likes and retweets and then learn from that, I would say.
1: Yeah, don't be scared. Just tweet and see what uh, what sticks and what doesn't. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 and did you buy some Twitter courses to, to get you started? You mentioned AdLadworth's course. Is, are they-
0: I think the first one I took was... Oh, I can't remember his name. Is it Chris Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, I think I bought his. His was quite good. So yeah, Ed Lattimore. but I still haven't been through all of his course. I need to like sit down and go through it. Lawrence King is such a good salesman that I bought his Twitter courses, even though I had way more followers than him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's,
1: that's one thing, you bought it, but did you also go through it? <laughs>
0: I've been through his email course. I've been through oh, his first Twitter course. I didn't take a lot away from, really, if I'm honest. Because there was a lot in there about automation and stuff that I'm not really going to get into. So i got his second Twitter course because it seemed to focus more on selling. But I haven't had time. I only bought it the other week. haven't had time to get through it. Oh yeah, I do. When I see courses on sale, I do sometimes buy them. I will eventually go through them, but not. I it can sometimes be like weeks later, but I do eventually go through them and take notes and stuff like that. But yeah, I think his second one's more focused on selling, which I think is his strong point because I can do the growth, not quite as good at the selling. I would say the copywriting for sales and stuff like that. So be interesting to see what he has to say.
1: Interesting. Why did you decide to? build a course on growing your Twitter
0: account? To be honest, because I was thinking about it and I was going to do it at first. And then I was just like, no, there's quite a few courses out there like that. Then there was someone else that's sort of half in the tech niche, half in the business niche. I can't remember his name. He does an AWS book and he was making a shitload of money out of his Twitter course. And I had about the same amount of followers as him. And Daniel
1: Daniel Vassillo?
0: yeah yeah i think that's it it turns out i haven't made anywhere near as much money as him out of mine probably because everyone in the niche has bought his before mine came out but also he tweets more about business so it's not really the trouble with my twitter courses is it's not really the my niche isn't really right for it some people on there will want to grow their twitter but there's there's no reason why if you've got an audience that cares about JavaScript and tech, why they're necessarily going to want to grow their Twitter, it's going to be quite a small percentage. So I didn't think it would sell massively well. So in terms of content creation and making money, I thought to be viable sort of long term, I would want my content creation time to net me so uh, content creation is in courses not like putting out tweets and stuff um do that for free as it were but content creation time i should be getting at least 250 dollars an hour back from that and thinking about how long i probably spent a few hundred hours on my javascript course and i thought to make the money on back on that i'll have to make seventy five thousand dollars it's not selling quite as well. It's making an annoying amount of money. It's not making the amount of money that's like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'll be quitting my job soon. But it's it's yeah. enough that it's I wouldn't want to stop doing it. I mean, the first couple of months, I was making more than the average person in the UK makes from their full-time job just selling that. So it's quite good. I mean, sales have been down this month because i haven't had a chance to do really much tweeting but yeah i mean it's got it's got potential but so i reckon one day probably not yeah not this year but at some point next year it should hit i I think 75k in profit i'd imagine but it's going to take some time and then you look at the twitter course and i thought well tech courses are hard to do that took me 300 hours i think i can do a twitter course that's packed full of plenty of value for anyone that wants to grow their Twitter and I think I can do that in 30 hours so that would mean I'd only need to earn seven and a half thousand dollars and then it's worth my time so there's like my niche is a smaller audience for that but there are people that want to learn it so they get to learn it and also I only need to earn seven thousand five hundred dollars and it's sort of worth my time so then I started thinking about it in a way of if I don't do this Because earning $7,500 off it, because bear in mind, I can just like sell it and sell it. I don't need to spend any more time on it, really. I mean, it hasn't sold massively well, but still, it's going to hit $7,500. That's like quite easy. It will go beyond that, I'm sure. But it's like, it's almost a certainty that it would sell that many. So then I started thinking about it in my mind of, if I don't do this course, I'm basically saying I don't want to sit down for 30 hours and earn $250 an hour for those hours and that sounds stupid. <laughs> does that does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, but what's also interesting is that so you spend hundreds of hours on the JavaScript yeah. course and you retail it at $49 yeah. and the Twitter course the retail price is the same, but the amount of time you spend on it is is quite quite a lot less.
0: I don't believe in the labor value labor theory of value or whatever it is. It's how much you put into something does not tell its worth as it were Mm -hmm. this is not um create its worth so i mean you could you could spend hundreds of hours doing something and it nets you nothing you could spend five hours and it nets you a load of money so it's all about perceived value from the user and there's a lot of javascript courses out there i mean the javascript course made a lot more money than the twitter course but you looked at different
1: courses what they brought what they sold for and then you base your price base off of that
0: I mean, there's like a whole range. I mean, I've seen it from like about, I was going to say $10 on Udemy, but Udemy is slowly putting the prices up. I guess they're going to have to because, I, I mean, I guess they're VC-backed and they're losing money at the moment. The trouble with Udemy courses, are they're cheap, but like no one, people generally don't know the instructor when they're going buy a course. So it's a bit of like potluck. So it's better to buy from someone you know. That sort of adds value. Looked at a few of the independent course sellers, I mean, I've seen JavaScript courses going for up to like $300, but they're sold via Facebook with people that have spent a lot on making their Facebook adverts look good and basically making bullshit promises I don't think they can make. Like, we guarantee you, you'll become a professional developer after watching this. Yeah, I based it vaguely around that, but I'm, I'm looking at sort of pricing now because I didn't really know what to price exactly and just sort of analyzing sort of, this is the annoying thing about teachable. They don't give you your conversion rate and they actually have the size set up in a way that even if you've got Google Analytics linked to it, makes it quite hard to work it out. But I've got a vague idea of the effect of like price testing it at different prices.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask, have you have you tested any pricing, like 79 or 39?
0: I, I think like who knows? Maybe if I put a massive price tag on it, it could actually sell a bit better. Because some people do say that sometimes happens. But yeah, I've tested it at a few different prices. And yeah, it seems like 49 seems a bit high. Because also, you've got to bear in mind, especially if you're selling directly off Twitter, for a lot of people, you want to catch those impulse buys. No. So people are just on there and they're like, oh, okay. But $50 is like a bit much, I think, for an impulse buy for. Like, I mean, if, if you see a lot of these courses sold via Twitter, they'll be full price $50, but most of the sales are probably going to happen at a discount.
1: No.
0: I think like a lot of stuff, I think it was uh, Jose, I can't remember his surname, saying stuff for under just under $25 seems to sell really well i mean i remember back in the day people were selling courses usually via email for like hundreds of dollars but it depends it depends what your course is on as well and so i'm still playing around but yeah there's there's a definite like jump in conversion rates at certain points but then you've got to work out is it better to sell less but at a higher price it's-
1: can you create a hidden course on teachable like a private course or something. I was just thinking, why don't you copy the course to like a private one, just exactly the same one and price it differently. And then a B test with a, with a link you control.
0: Well, you can have a uh, multiple, they have like, it's a bit weird the way they have it. They You can essentially assign different prices to the same course. So then you could give people slightly different URLs and it would be different price coming through i think you can just do something with a query string but i mean you, you can do it with like discount codes yeah
1: yeah that do you promote it in your uh, newsletter
0: yeah sometimes it's a sort of mixture it's like with with newsletters I, I tend to do like at least two newsletters that aren't promotional in the slightest but might have like a footer link with it in and then like third email i might do more of a Focused on selling, but I think with e- newsletter emails, you've got to write them in such a way that at least entertaining or, if not informative, to read, even if people don't want to buy the product because otherwise, you're just going to hemorrhage subscribers. No. So, yeah, I promote it on that and a bit on Twitter. I think email does a lot better than Twitter. Email is good because people have more sort of trust in you if you've been on the email list for a while. Yeah. But I mean, at the right price, I get sales every day on Twitter just from having like links in my profile, for example.
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting angle. I don't know if you have like an onboarding sequence for your newsletter, you could also include it in, in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was one of the things that Lawrence King, his his course on email was, was going on about uh, having uh, autoresponder sequences and how it was a good idea, and this is what you should include, and then this is what you should do. And I made a load of notes. And basically there's a load of work as, kicked off in my day job since last month so i've been working up to 12 hours a day on that so i really haven't this is why my sales have dropped in half for my my courses this month i really haven't really had time to do anything but i I was in the sequence of like spending two nights a week improving my twitter two nights a week improving my emailing and that's on my to-do list but i only got as far As the first email in the sequence that is basically describing who I am, little backstory and inviting people to email me with any questions they've got, which some people do. And presumably in future emails, I probably do like have like maybe a four or five email sequence and one will be selling the JavaScript course. One will be maybe doing an affiliate course on something else.
1: Interesting. And so it's getting a bit crowded in the developers slash Twitter space. How can new developers or as, as in people who are new to Twitter but are already developers, how can they find their spot here?
0: Yeah, I mean, over the past um, few months, maybe this is why it's harder for me to get followers. But then I think people have been saying that in like every niche. Don't just copy me. <laughs> do, something, <laughs> do something different. Stay
1: away from my tweets. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a, there's a lot of similar content, and oh, this is what I'm starting to find. Like when I when I first started tweeting, I think I grew quite fast because a lot of what I was saying is quite unique, and now it doesn't seem as unique because a lot of other people are saying similar things. Yeah, you've got to find your own angle on things. I think which maybe isn't that easy especially since you know if you tweet but I mean even then you've got like money twitter and they're like platitudes and stuff and everything and people are still coming to money twitter now and still growing quite fast I think there's a lot of room I think also tech twitter I think is a lot larger potentially than money twitter
1: if somebody started a new account in any industry what's the single uh, single best advice you'd give them
0: tweet every day
1: and that's that's because you know you you mentioned already that if you don't tweet for a couple of days is that one day or two days and you just see a drop yeah, in um, engagement I, and I find
0: i have to like get up momentum again um there's also that but also when it comes to getting good at tweets you've got to write it's like to do anything well you've got to do it a lot so if you're not writing a lot of tweets how are you ever going to get good at tweeting how do you get how do you write a lot of tweets Will you do 10 a day every day so 10 a day every day for a year is three thousand six hundred and fifty tweets you'll be much better when you've done that many than if you're doing it occasionally and you also get to see what works more you've got more material to work with
1: how many times do you tweet per day
0: when i when i was first starting it was about 10 i tried to go up to 30 recently but i think that actually harmed wow. me because i think there was too much stuff and people were getting annoyed and because i know ed Lattimore was recommending oh yeah you should do a thousand a month yeah. it's about 30 a day plus some in, in, interacting with other people but i found it really hard to do so i mean i've dropped back to 15 i might drop back to 12 i mean the reason also i first started doing more tweets per day is because i uh, to get my um, impressions up, so impressions are just basically like the number of times people see your tweets, and obviously all else engagement being equal, your engagement rate being the same, you will have a lot more impressions if you do thirty tweets a day than if you do ten tweets a day. But yep. that doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It doesn't grow your Twitter more by having just like it's basically if I put more content out, I'll get more impressions. But what does that do for you? Not a lot, probably.
1: Yeah, just the impressions won't do a lot. You know, you yeah. need the right tweets. You know, some tweets just they drive a lot of profile clicks, and those are the tweets you need yeah. in order to grow at least.
0: So yeah, it's probably better to have ten good tweets than thirty mediocre tweets. And also, if you start tweeting too much and the quality drops, people start unfollowing you. I guess.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Okay, thanks a lot.
1: That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Hype Presents because next week we'll talk to Arvid Kahl. You'll find out exactly how he grew his business to 55k MRR and what techniques to use when you want to start a business but don't know where to begin. Also, don't forget to leave an iTunes review. As a new podcast, we rely on them heavily and you'd do me a great favor if you left a review for our show.